So, hi everyone. This is Nick Hill. She is a fashion designer with 10 years of fashion industry experience from brands like Ralph Lauren and Norma Kamali. And before she got her degree in fashion design, she got one in psychology. She used the combination of her education to help people in unique ways. Uh, when she first started her business, she noticed how insecure many of her clients were in their bodies. So she began creating conversations around improving self-esteem, body positivity, and confidence so that people could feel beautiful in the skin that they're in. And having her own fashion brand, many people have asked her for help to do the same. So she started online courses to help educate on some of the particulars of the business of fashion. As a Small Business Administration Award winner, she loves helping new business owners find their way and navigate some of the more intricate parts of being a small business owner. Everyone, welcome Nick Hill. <laughs> Hi, Antonio. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for such a warm and gracious opening. Thank you. You're quite welcome. I had to be dramatic so people can really want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just do the interview questions you outlined on your um, podcastguest.com. One what are some actionable ways people can improve their body image issues? Actionable ways. I would say a really good thing to do is to just start speaking positively about yourself and having an awareness of the negative things that you say. And that one is probably a little bit harder. So if you feel yourself getting ready to say something like, I look ugly or I feel fat or wow. I, you know, fill in the blank with something negative, be aware that you're saying it and stop yourself from saying it. I think that's the, the, the first step is awareness that you're doing the thing. And then once you're aware that you're speaking negatively about yourself, you can start to do things to positively change that. And it won't happen overnight. It'll take time to get that awareness and mm -hmm. it'll take time to begin to speak positively. But the goal is just to stop a negative action and replace it with something more positive. You might not even believe it the first few times you say something kind about yourself, but the goal is just to not speak negatively about yourself. And over time, you'll start to have a better self talk with yourself and it'll slight, slowly begin to improve your self-esteem and self-confidence. Also, how we communicate with ourselves influences our sense of empowerment or lack there or disempowerment with our physical figure. Correct. And it also affects the way that the world sees you and treats you. So if you don't show your self-respect, why should anybody else? Because the world is learning how to conduct itself with you based on how you conduct yourself with yourself. 
Exactly. That makes sense. That's <laughs> like takes, when you get. Hmm? I'm sorry. Uh, it takes time. It's it's a lot easier to say than it is to do. Oh, which leads me to number two. What are some good tips to start maintain a fitness regime? Kind of similar to point the the first question, being aware of I would say your schedule and like looking at your schedule for a week perhaps and seeing what is it that you you do and where do you have time in your schedule and once you can recognize where you have time in your every day then you can start to carve out that time and use it to begin a fitness routine but if you aren't able to isolate where you're going to fit it in then it's going to be difficult to, to do it with any kind of consistency and regularity. I would say that just, you know, at first, maybe just five or 10 minutes a day of walking or any kind of movement. It doesn't even have to be something as intense as going to the gym or getting a trainer, but just doing some kind of physical movement every day in the time that you have found in your schedule mm -hmm. will start to create the habits that you need to be consistent with it. And then you progress. So maybe you start off with five or 10 minutes and every week you add five more minutes. And at the end of a month, you should have 20 minutes per day where you're moving and, and exercising your body to some level. And eventually that will begin to become maybe working out at the gym or doing more intense home workouts or working with a personal trainer or you know downloading a, a fitness app. But I think the key is really just to find the time in a way that works for you and your schedule. That's true, because I've learned this concept a few years ago about this dangers of a sedentary lifestyle. And I think that a lot of that has skyrocketed. You're at home and you have people who have packed on pounds, whether it was through their drinking or their eating, a lot of it could be stress-induced, especially if you can't go out and the gyms are closed. A lot of people are like, well, I can't work out at home, but you can move around. You can do an exercise tape. You can put a little, you can put your workout mat and still do jumping jacks. Or you still do push-ups, sit-ups. A lot of people create excuses for why they can't be fit, why they can't eat properly, why they can't drink healthy fluids. And these are the same people who are evasive of the doctor and the dentist, and they wonder why their health keeps declining. And they're like, it has to be magical, but that's not how health maintenance works. You actually have to have a work ethic. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Just move dancing even like if if the idea of working out is is too much just dance maybe you know put on your favorite record or album or artist and just just dance just move movement is is the key and it, that's true because i've learned that consistent health um self-caring it alleviates depression anxiety negative thinking, pessimism, feeling 
defeatism and the negative affirmations that we could easily give ourselves those things are alleviated if you consistently work on your temple like your body and it also helps with your self-image it goes and it, it, it increases and your and since I was body image here, your body image increased because you're like, wow, I'm looking more of my healthiest, my best. So true. And you feel good. Right. It's just, you know, working out releases endorphins and endorphins make us happy. <laughs> that is true. Because um, I remember, and I could be vulnerable here, I am a victim of trauma. So when you're a victim of trauma, Body image issues are the norm, unfortunately. And for many years, I did not feel like I was attracted to myself nor to other people. But I was able to have trained help to help me to reverse those untruths that I was force fed. And I think of myself now as very... Um, very much appealing to me and other people. And that's beautiful. Like we, we have to, it's not enough of like what the world thinks about us, but how we feel about ourselves is just as important. And right. I, I think that's a great story to share with someone who could be feeling similarly. Um, so I'm glad you said that. Thank you. And number three, how does someone transition from a nine to five to starting their own business? <laughs> <laughs> I think this question, you have to know what you want your business to be. It's a lot of goal setting and a lot of strategizing. Yes. Um, I would say once you know what you want the business to be, then you're able to start making strategic plans. You can figure out how much money you'll need to save to start your business venture and then you can start to create a timeline for and an exit strategy, if you will, for how you'll leave your nine to five and transition into your own business. A lot of people, when they're looking to start their business and, and leave their job, they use a, a financial map, if you will, for what that looks like. So they start with getting customers or clients or selling their product or selling their service. Mm -hmm. And if they can make a certain amount per month, then that's usually how they leave their nine to five. In the beginning, it's tough because you're essentially working two jobs, your nine to five job, and then your, your, your own business. I would say if you can start on the nights and the weekends, it's, it's usually ideal if you do work a traditional nine to five job. And just find clients, uh, make your product, do local fairs. If you have a product that, uh, if you have a product-based businesses, do local markets and local fairs on the weekend so you can sell those products so that you can kind of test to see if there's a market for them, if people are interested in them, what's the feedback behind it. If you have a product or, or if you have a service-based business, then try to get some customers and offer your service in the beginning try it for free. You want to, you always want to make sure that there's a, a need for your service or for your product. And once you've established there's a need for it, then start doing it 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week, 
And as you grow slowly, but surely, eventually you'll start making enough income from that, that small business where it will afford you the luxury of leaving your nine to five job. If you have the type of business where you have to front money up front in order to operate your business. So someone like me, I need money to buy clothes, but to buy fabric in order to make clothes. And sometimes those fabrics can get expensive. So mm -hmm. if you're able to, I would say maybe create a savings so that you can use that savings as the seed money for your business so that when you leave your nine to five, you have enough capital to, to keep your business up and running for a period of six to eight months. That is something I am currently undergoing. Like I was telling you earlier before I started recording the interview, how I've started my own business. It's called um, Book Series Authorship, as I eloquently name, name it. And I used to have a nine to five, but something inside me said, well, there's more that you can offer the world than a nine to five. You know, this on nine to five, I mean, that's your thing, that's your thing. But some people, it's a starting point, but it's not the until you're in your 60s and 70s and you're retired kind of situation. I'm in that category where I said, well, I like to read. Why not have people read my thoughts? I read other people's thoughts. I think exactly. I should join in this tradition. So I have a book series deal with my uh, publisher. In fact, I can say it. I was able to get my Zelle account, you know, so I can, when it's time to do business, I could do it in the most effective way because I did my research, Zell, PayPal, they're the best. So I got my Zell. And we were finalizing the deal today about it comes out October 8th, as you know, and, you know, getting it in stores and do an in-person book signing, COVID restrictions honoring, of course. And, you know, we're going to definitely put it on Amazon and name and claim going to be a global best-selling author so that that's one of my favorite questions to ask you know we didn't get to all 10 because <laughs> I'm like yes and I'm 27 I'll be 28 next month so happy early birthday <laughs> thank you and I'm doing entrepreneurship before 30 that's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. And a great story for so many people. I think where there's a will, there's a way. And I would say for anyone, you know, just because you, you, you are working that nine to five or feel maybe kind of down because you're not where you want to be, just keep working towards it. And eventually your goal will happen. Right. Because I, I've learned that I'm, I'm on the autism spectrum, so it's really empowering, like, wait, you could be labeled and still be entrepreneurial? Yes, I'm proof of this, and I decided, you know, another concern I had was these rising costs, so I said, well, nine to five still wouldn't help me with the rising costs situation so let me put more revenue 
in my bank account. And not just for the money, but I do it more because I want to make a servant leadership impact upon people. That way they don't think you're just out just to collect cash or anything like I just want to be a blessing to be rewarding and to be of upliftment to people I think that you and your book will definitely do that and I will definitely make sure you get your copy oh if thank you, you. <laughs> and I'm out and I make sure I have my book signed too so if you want to autograph out <laughs> I'll treasure it and keep it. Thank you. Uh, a, a, a grandmother's unconditional love. I'm looking really forward to reading it. Thank you. Uh, number four, how does someone start a fashion brand? This one's <laughs> a lot harder. Uh, and, <laughs> I don't know how everyone else, I think that um, if you spoke to a hundred designers, there would be a hundred different answers to that question. Um, I think that it's going to vary for the person. For me, I went to design school. I worked for some designers. I worked in the fashion industry. And then I started my brand once I felt like I knew what I was doing because it's a tricky industry to navigate. Um, so, and I would recommend, you know, paying your dues and learning what you need to learn so that you could be successful at it. In today's landscape though, there's so many people who start a brand because they have a following on Instagram or a following on YouTube. And what they have is the audience, but maybe they lack the, the know-how and the knowledge and they, they work with people to help them in, in that capacity. I think it just depends on what your resources are. I'd say if you have talent and you are good at sewing and, and, and good at drawing and making clothes, then you can probably explore the more traditional path. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you have money, but you don't have talent and you don't have an audience, you can always hire people to do the things that build a brand. If you have an audience, but you don't have money and you don't have talent, then you can always, you know, find, um, find the people to help you and, and use your audience to sell your product to. I think in today's landscape, there's so many ways to approach it. But me personally, I went the traditional way. I went to school. I had an internship. I was an apprentice. I worked in the industry. Awesome. I, I paid my dues and I, I learned the, the, the old school way. Wow. Do you have a men's attire like as part of fashion brand if I want to like wear the clothes for your brand do you not yet maybe okay. maybe in the future I I've thought about it and I'm not I'm not sure if I'll include menswear or not okay um, but not yet maybe one day oh okay because I've always wanted to do modeling because I'm really into my looks in a non-arrogant way. As you should be. Thank you. <laughs> I just like the self-care and I've always liked posing and like strutting my stuff. <laughs> it, it can be fun. Modeling is, is such hard work too, though. I think that a lot of people don't, don't 
don't know that about it, but it can be a lot of hard work to, to be a model. Because being beautiful can be stressful. <laughs> well, not so much for that, but they, they have to do the, they have to, you know, hold that same pose sometimes for a really long time, or it's a lot of time on set if you're taking pictures. Um, it's a lot of changing and knowing how to pose in the clothes in a way that feature the clothes because the it's not about the model, it's about what they're wearing. So you have to be able to showcase the clothes in a way that makes someone want to buy it. Like if it has pockets, you need to be able to model it in a way that shows that it has pockets. If it has a special feature in the back, you need to be able to model it in a way that showcases the details of the clothes and not you, the model. The model is uh, almost like a, a, a human hanger for lack of a, a better description. Um, and a designer or a brand is paying the model to, to highlight their, their pieces. They don't want the model front and center. They want the clothes front and center. And that's more difficult than what people, I think, give it credit for. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just glad we're not in the 1800s because when they <laughs> took pictures, it was much longer. That's why. I <laughs> and that's why you don't see a lot of them smiling because they were there like pretty much all day. True. <laughs> Very true. I'm glad we're not back then either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. Right. Well, yeah, there's a work ethic even into your um, physical frame, too. Indeed, you have to keep up with your, your body type. So if you're a plus size model, you need to maintain that shape and, and that body size. If you're a traditional size model, you need to maintain that shape and body size. And, and you know, that requires different levels of self-care that regular people might not uh, do. If you're really in demand, you travel a lot, uh, which means you're probably living out of a suitcase. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes travel at that level, you're not, it's not a vacation. You're not traveling and enjoying the places that you're in. You're there just to work and then you leave very quickly and go to a new place. Um, so it, for some people, it might not be as enjoyable. I call it a romanticized profession because I think what we see in movies and TVs very much romanticizes it. And right. the, the fact of the matter is it's not as, it's not always as glamorous as it appears. That's what I was thinking, because I, I never got to hear much of what it's like for male models, because I've, I've always wanted to be a supermodel. I thought that is just fabulous. But do you know anything from the male model perspective, where a lot of, you know, happens to women. Some of the things that I've heard has been harsh, you know, the, the, you could develop, some have developed eating disorders and they're being obsessed with the thinnest in American culture and the whole worrying about aging and people not treating you as they used to when you were younger. Have you heard anything about 
male model struggles? Um, I have a friend that does some modeling. Um, I'm not, I don't know how much he still works in, in the modeling industry, but it's sometimes even harder for men to model because it's a very female focused uh, industry in terms of modeling. So it's, it's one of the few industries where men actually earn less than women do. Um, but it's all of the same demands that women face, um, male models face too. Um, my friend, he works out all the time to maintain his body and a certain body image so that if he gets a call, you know, tomorrow he's, he's photo ready and and ready to go, Mm. Um, which requires, you know, always eating properly and, and always maintaining uh, a, a, a specific look as to like what matches his his headshots um other than that i i don't know too much i would imagine because the fashion industry is so female focused um and there are i think marketing to men is different modeling kind of relates to marketing and i think marketing to men is a little different than marketing to women um so i think the demands on male models would probably be a little bit different than than female models right. if they're ever doing work with women they're probably for lack of a better word uh, an accessory because if it's a female brand the fem- the the products for the the women are going to outshine the guy and he's just going to be you know in the background um, mm. but I've actually never worked with male models for my brand. Um, there's, hasn't been a need for me to, um, my, my, my brand is very female focused. So there's, there's aspects of male models that, um, I don't know too much about, but I'd be really interested to learn. It's a, it's a topic I'd like to learn more about. Cause I, I, I can imagine like if you're a male in America for certain it may happen in other countries, but I can relate most to America since I live in America. How being buff and a hunk of a man is entrenched, like enforced upon you, and it's constant reinforcement that you have to. Tall, dark, and handsome is another thing. And they think, well, a little over six feet, right? And you have to be tone like you've been a gym rat for 10 years and um especially like biceps triceps they want it super like defined in muscularity and if you're a woman it's oh man they have it's like they make you feel awful if you don't have curves for lack of better word or meat for another lack of better word and if you like if a woman is you know best way to put it getting up there they make her feel as if she's less than a woman so a lot of people are trying to achieve unhealthy standards by society society has an issue with aging and being elderly and being a senior so do you have any experiences with female models that you think are worth sharing? 
Um, because I have a, a, a women's brand, I work with female models um, all the, well, not all the time, but those are the, the, the types of people that I work with. It varies. My brand is very focused on body positivity and positive self-image and positive self-talk. So the models that I use all embody that. And I'm really fortunate that the women that I, I work with um, have a great sense of self-worth and have a positive body image and, and great confidence. And I think that that can be rare with models just because the world thinks they're beautiful doesn't necessarily think that mean that they think that about themselves or mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they they're not battling with insecurity issues themselves and i'm fortunate that the models that i have worked with have a great sense of confidence and i think that that shows in the pictures that we we capture of them they're they're able to bring a level of confidence and and thus beauty to the image because that's how they feel about themselves. And I think that that's a, a really beautiful and rare quality for a model to have. I'm really glad you shared that because when, when I used to hear from the media, when I would see Tyra Banks's show, um, she had a modeling show, they showed so much of the infighting and trying to take each other's spots, but they didn't share what you shared about. No, actually a lot of models are, are positive about their bodies, positive about themselves, and they want each other to succeed. I wish the media would share more of what you're sharing because a lot of people may have a skewed view of modeling because of all of the reality TV mentality that our culture has towards modeling, but modeling can be a positive thing if you have that healthy self-esteem and you're not jealous of others, you want them to succeed. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I think though, it's important to point out that does exist. Right. I think I'm, when a model is on set, I'm paying her to, to be professional. Right. So she's probably not gonna show me that per se. She, mm -hmm. You know, to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe that they are treating each other that way because the models that I have worked with in the past, I know that they know each other and they, they've done other gigs together before. Um, but I also don't tolerate that because of what my brand is about. So, I, I do a, I, I take a lot of time to find the right models because I don't want to put up with the things that you just described, but that definitely exists. And that energy is definitely out there. I just choose not to entertain it. That's basically, <laughs> I'll repeat that last part, I'm sorry. I, I said, I don't have time for it. I, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with, you know, cat fighting and, and jealousy and, and all those things. Like, it's not what I'm about. It's not what my brand's about. And I just, I don't have time for it. So I, I don't, I don't tolerate it. Which is a perfect segue to number five. What are some ways we can improve our self-talk? I would um, kind of like that first question, just acknowledge and be aware that you're, you're not what you're saying about yourself and that you're not being 
positive and fair to yourself. And a question that I ask my clients, you know, I, I, I work with women in, in the fitting room and they're trying clothes on and, and they, they say things about themselves that are not kind. And mm-hmm. I ask them, if I said that about you, how would you react and how would that make you feel? And most times, if, if I said to someone what they said about themselves, they'd be upset with me for saying it or they would get defensive or they might curse me out even. So if that would be the way that you would respond to me saying this about you or anybody else saying it about you, why is it okay for you to say it about yourself, right? And right. I, think, I think you start there. I think you start with the awareness that what you're saying about yourself is wrong and be aware that you're even saying it. And once you know better, you can do better. You can start to speak to yourself in a different way once you're aware that you're even doing it. And just have grace and patience with yourself. Like nobody is perfect. Everybody has something about themselves that they would like to change. But that doesn't mean that you have to highlight it to the world, right? If, if talk about what you do like. So if you don't like, you know, one part of your body or one part of your personality or one part of piece of yourself what do you like about yourself start start affirming the the qualities you do love and the the things that are great about you and put the focus on that and I think when we start to focus on the things that we love about ourselves those things that we don't like about ourselves become you know less important and we can we can begin to improve upon those things if we choose or we can just focus on the things that we we like, but it's it's almost like self abuse to keep speaking so poorly about ourselves, You're and, right? You know, expecting different results as a as a consequence. Like if you speak poorly about yourself, it affects your mood. If it affects your mood, it affects your interactions with people. If it affects your interactions with people, it affects what you're what you're getting from people as you move through the world. And it creates this domino effect that you just can't get out of because you don't believe you're worthy for more. Self-abuse, which is very rampant in our global society. So I'm glad you're able to pinpoint that because I've had to improve my self-talk, especially recently. Um, it, It was at one point struggling to think as positively as I normally do to now, I wake up with energy, with euphoria. I don't wake up with a sense of dread or hopelessness. So, yes. How did you get to that point though? Like what worked for you? Oh, okay. What worked for me was meditation. It's a good one. And doing my other favorite hobby, which is writing, um, and calling people who value me the inner circle, not just when I'm happy, but it's okay to share that sad side with them and not try to rush to the happiness emotion. That's the temptation when you're sad. Mm-hmm. I got to get out of this, like, no, fully deal with it correctly and then gradually the happiness will come. That's what happens to me. That's such a good point to actually 
address and deal with the emotion and not just put it under the rug or try to, you know, go around it because not dealing with it can be equally as harmful as, you know, speaking poorly about yourself, especially because the things that we don't deal with have a way of coming back and revisiting us. And yeah. if you're not equipped to deal with it, when it comes back again, you, you're, you're going through all the same emotion again, rather than having the tools to, to know how to address it. That's true, because in our community, the Black community, sweeping things under the rug has been popular. And <laughs> we need to, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> and we need to make it unpopular <laughs> to do that, because I, I, I had a talk with my big sisters and we were just going over the ridiculousness of unnecessary anxiety, unnecessary stress, unnecessary exhaustion, unnecessary depression of constantly lying and hiding and pretending and secluding and putting it back there. But you could have used that same work ethic to blossom and grow and mature and develop and be a healthier you. It's it's one of the biggest time wasters you could ever indulge in. It is. It's at the point now, Antonio, where I feel like in our community, it's almost genetic because of how cyclical the trauma and the 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 that energy and emotion is. It's literally passed down from generation to generation. And mm -hmm. our parents dealt with it and maybe they never confronted it or were able to move through it successfully. And they pass that down to us. And if we don't work on it and if we don't deal with it, we'll do the same thing and pass it down to our children because children observe and absorb everything that they see. And it's, it's, it's for that reason why I think that it's, it's genetic. And working through those problems is so, 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 so important, uh, especially in the black community. And, and I hope that you know, any, for anyone that's listening, you, if you need help with something, you, you find it in a friend, a pastor, a grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a mother, a father, whoever you trust and allow yourself to be vulnerable and know that if you're not okay, that's okay. You don't have to be perfect all the time. You're allowed to be human and, and to feel when you see something that makes you feel triggered or makes you feel sad and upset. And, and it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to need help. Yes, because I've learned this recent con. Well, it's recent through the concept gen uh, generational trauma, and how it is, as you said, genetic. So it's it genetic trauma, um, like trauma trapped in your body. It, you're so used to all that forced upon pain, forced pain that it literally can cause emotional issues and mental uh, deficiencies. And so what I've been doing is releasing the trauma from me. And the way I've done it is 
doing my favorite hobbies, talking more to people who are positive in my life and having more fruitful discussions with them. More self-care techniques I've been personally utilizing in my own life and changing the narrative of my self-conversation. So good. So that's how I could literally feel the trauma leaving me. And you're better for it and your quality of life will improve. And I think another thing that we notice as a result of not doing that work in the Black community is such a high rate of diabetes, heart disease, stroke, stress. Uh, you know, we, we internalize all of that trauma and it has to release itself and right. it, it does it in our physical health and it's it's so important to to be aware of that and to to not hold on to that like you're we're not designed to to live life that way this, right. as a hu as a human being we weren't designed to to experience life that way that's why we feel the way we feel when we're in those types of negative situations and and talking in such poor ways to ourselves because we're we're not supposed to to own that energy. That's true. We're not supposed to be anyone's garbage can, especially and our own. <laughs> well said. Um, number six. Where do you see the state of retail going? Such a, an interesting question. And it, it's almost like to be continued, right? Like, <laughs> who knows where <laughs> it'll go? Um, I think retail will have to have some kind of shift in order to stay relevant. I think that with the advent of, you know, the internet and internet shopping and people shopping online, retail has kind of become more of a return center than it has a, a place where you, you go to experience shopping. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting and I'm not sure, I, the CFDA had a, a webinar or it was Vogue actually, that had a webinar series last year right after uh, the pandemic happened and this question was being asked and it was Anna Wintour and Mark Jacobs and Virgil Abloh and, and Nicole Phelps and all these like major fashion heads that were like discussing this, this very question. And they didn't really have an answer at the end of the webinar as to where they think that it will go. Um, it's my opinion that if retail is to stick around and to still be successful, it will obviously have to change. I think that stores would benefit from using, utilizing any retail space that they have or real estate that they have, physical real estate, and leaning into what's happening with online shopping. So maybe the store becomes a resource center for the brand. And maybe it becomes a showroom and people don't buy from the store at all, but they, they go there to see new collections. They go there to try on, they go there to do brand specific activities and the brand funnels all of their, their sales through their, their website. I think that's probably the smartest move, um, but what a brand chooses to do is, is their decision. 
Um, I think that we can see certain brands that have like experiential stores. Um, I haven't, I don't really do too much uh, shopping, shopping anymore, uh, but you do have some stores that have like digital fitting rooms where when you try the store, the, the garment on, it, it shows you the front and back in a three-dimensional way, or you might not have to try it on at all. You see brands like Warby Parker, where you can shop online and you can try on different glasses just by it taking your picture. I think that if, if retail can begin to implement technology in some capacity, as well as making itself be a resource for the consumer, I think that retail will have a, a great chance of, of you know, continuing on into the future. Uh, but I don't think that it will be able to stay the way that it currently is because this model has proven that it's it's becoming a bit outdated and, and it doesn't serve the consumer in the way that the consumer needs it to. Right, because if we want to have sustainability economically as a business, we have to be more virtual because I think COVID has changed retail. It, there may be a hybrid retail system I'm foreseeing. You know, some, some customers are more into, well, if I don't have to go in person and deal with certain personalities, I just want to be able to conduct like a seminar or something of a presentation or business like purchasing of items online where you'll have a bigger audience virtually, while in person, um, some people still want to do the typical, I want to see people, be around people, and be able to buy things around people. So yes, I do think that retail was forced to change, because for a while it kept doing the same. We got to depend on consumers to be here, so we can still be here. And then COVID came and said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. So. It was struggling already before COVID. Retail was already on very shaky ground before COVID. And COVID really just exposed all of the vulnerabilities of, of retail even more so. And if anything, COVID probably fast-tracked what was happening in retail by a few years. So... Mm. It, you know, if, if it would have taken 10 or 15 years for retail to get to where it is right now in 2021 without COVID, COVID kind of just made all of that happen just so much faster. And a lot of stores, you know, as we've seen, I live in New York City and there's so many retail stores that are not even there anymore. Like before you go anywhere, you kind of have to check to see on your phone if the store is even still open. Um, yes, because there's so many stores that closed permanently. So I think, um, and so many brands that went out of business, I think COVID just, just uh, exploited that in a much faster way. I agree, because when I think of five guys, I've heard close. Did they? From what I I've researched, that. that a lot of them either closed or the whole franchise Close one one of them, and and it made me think about how a lot of their business was built upon faces coming in, 
and it's like some restaurants they're now doing carry out is the is is a more popular thing than it was because some people are well I know I'm at home and COVID restrictions, but can I still get a bite to eat? I'm still hungry. I still like your food. I still got some money for you. You still have to eat. Food is different. We still have to eat every day. <laughs> right. And so some some businesses have fared well because they're able to quickly adapt while some just want insisted upon waiting till the pandemic to either die down well enough or be over and they tanked. Yeah, it's... um. It's a sad state of affairs, I think, for restaurants and, and retail businesses. But I think, you know, the benefit of the small business person or anybody that still has a, maybe a food truck or their own restaurant or their own brick and mortar, listen to your consumers and whatever it is that they need, that's what you should be doing. And I think right. that's the answer to, to sticking around a little bit longer. I think gone are the days where brands and companies are these like major conglomerates and and you know everybody kind of bows down and, and gets in line to what they're doing. Consumers have voices and are, right. are able to, to take some of that power back. And I think any brand that is a brand that is in service for the customer will find that they, they probably have a little bit more longevity in their business approach than a brands that don't address that. Because at the end of the day, your customer's your boss, right? Like if, if, yeah. if, yeah. if, <laughs> if, if you're not doing and making things for them or writing books that are with them in mind, then they're not buying it. And, right. you know, you, you, you have to make consider them in all of the choices that you're making for your business. Because, you know, the thing is, without, see, you can have a boss, but your boss's boss are the purchases or consumers, and you're right. And if you neglect your base, then you basically decide to collapse your own entity, which yeah. is unwise and foolish. Yeah. And I think for, a, I think what COVID exposed is a lot of brands who either didn't know their base as well as they thought that they did, or they didn't quickly pivot in order to react to the needs of their customers for that period of time. So mm. COVID happened and what did you do to help your customer? There's a lot of stories here in New York where restaurants began to sell grocery items uh, because in terms of licensing and, and food handling requirements, a restaurant can sell groceries. There's no laws right. preventing them from because they're already handling food and they already have these deliveries that were coming in from, you know, farmers or the dairy people or bread people, but you don't have people coming into your restaurant to eat anymore. So mm. instead of instead of making the food for them, why don't you sell it disassembled and, and sell the raw ingredients and let them take it home? And some of the restaurants that did that are still around today. And I don't suggest that that would necessarily work for everybody. But the point of the example is more so to highlight how reacting to your customers' needs might help you for the long term than it would with just 
being firm and saying, well, I'm a restaurant. I'm not going to do that. We only cook food. Well, maybe you don't have a chance of surviving if you can't help your customer with how they need, you know, and when the pandemic's over or when things are like approaching some sense of normality, then you're able to go back to being a restaurant again and, and, and cooking and selling food. But, um, in a traditional, like, you know, plated way, but I think as a company, it's your job to react to your customers' needs, regardless of the type of company you have, whether you're a fashion designer, a chef, a restaurateur, an author, a, a playwright, whatever it is that you do for a living, if you are selling goods and services to people, your job is to give them what they need. That's why you're in business. Yes. And I also thought about how when you were talking about like writing books, like my goal is to write to autism spectrum families and families who have loved ones who are labeled um, by the education system. And my other audience is people who have faced any kind of trauma so my writing fits them because of how I chose to write specifically for people like myself. And then we said normality, an enhanced normality is hopefully the goal. Because a lot of people are saying back to normal. Not every normal should be normalized. That part. <laughs> or returned back to, right? Some of those normals need to be done with forever. Like we don't, we don't need every normal. Yeah, like, it was normal for me not to have a podcast. Now, it's abnormal for me not to have a podcast. (laughs) Because I celebrated my one-year anniversary, August 25th, 2020, when I started. Congratulations. And thank you, thank you. And I I haven't stopped. Because a lot of podcasters they want the instant success I want to be up there with Joe Rogan and all the sponsorships and I'm like you have to slow down don't try to be him be one step at a time yeah the world already has a Joe Rogan right they don't (laughs) have Antonio Myers thank you Nick Hill okay I said your name right yay I don't like butchering names. <laughs> Me either. But we all do it. All we can do is just correct ourselves when we learn how to properly say it. Because I get called Anton Antoine. <laughs> I, I, yes. Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not an uncommon name. Like there's, you know, plenty of people named Antonio. That's interesting. True. And well, what was I gonna? I was gonna. Oh, okay. Actually, these questions. I combine them. Where do where do body image issues start slash come from? And how do we maintain a healthy body image issue? I think they come from. It it can come from different places for different people. I think a lot of women, because of the imagery that we see in the world, I think a lot of it starts very early and we see it on television or we see it when we're flipping through a fashion magazine or on Instagram. 
I think sometimes for some little girls, they overhear their moms or their grandmothers maybe saying negative things about their own bodies or maybe speaking in judgment about people like, oh, why does she have that on? She looks so bad in it, right? It, it, wow, starts, it, it starts there, right? Mm -hmm. Like your five-year-old daughter hears that or your five-year-old granddaughter hears that or your five-year-old niece hears that. Your five-year-old son hears it too, right? So I think a lot of it just starts unknowingly in the house. And I think it just, you know, gets worse from there. I think once those little five-year-olds start to grow up and start watching television, I think television and, and the media begin to reinforce what they were hearing. Uh, I think from there, it begins to create some of that negative self-talk because now you hear, you know, people who you value and trust saying things about themselves, and maybe you look the way that they look. And if they're not happy with their body, what is that saying about you? And you look mm -hmm. just like them, right? How, right? how would that feel? Everyone tells you, you look just like your mom. And you hear your mom saying, oh, I look so fat or I look horrible. This is so, how would that make a five-year-old feel, right? Yeah. Um, that, so is, <laughs> that is negative reinforcement. Indeed. I think it starts there. I think... I think the way to treat it is I go back, awareness is everything in, in anything that you do, you have to have an awareness and it sounds so simple. It's, it's a small word. It's, it, it sounds like it'd be so easy to do, mm -hmm. but being honest with ourselves is one of the hardest things to do. It's so difficult. You know, one of the problems with people who have um, addiction issues is first admitting that they have a problem, right? So yeah. it's, it's no different when you have a negative self-opinion of yourself. You have to first admit that you have a negative opinion of yourself. You have to be aware of, of that, you, that you're even in that space. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to take a poll of people, most people would probably say, no, I'm positive. I have a great self-image. But if you dissect that and, and look at what that actually looks like on a database and observe how they speak to themselves or get them to record some of their thoughts, most people probably aren't as positive as they would like to think that they are about themselves. Right. So, you know, having this awareness of, of you and being honest with yourself about how you feel about yourself, I think is the, the key to addressing it and, and, and working on it. And, that's something that's not done just once. That's continual work. It's, it's daily reinforcing, I'm worthy, I'm beautiful, I'm, I, I deserve to be here. And, and feeling comfortable to take up space and feeling comfortable to, to exist in your skin the way that you are and, and going into the world in that manner. Um, but that's daily work. I agree. I do agree that because personally I grew up with a new phrase of learning, trauma dumping. I think a lot of older people trauma dump on younger people. In and that's why you have that generational curse perpetuated because no one has the curse to say enough. We're starting another pattern. We're going to have a 
instead of generational curse, we have a generational blessing of you're worthy. And then you'll start seeing older people say that to younger people more instead of always gossiping about themselves and others. Like, wow, speak well of yourself and others. Yes. And to be fair, uh, we stand on the shoulders of the generations before us and they had it hard. It wasn't easy being a black person in America 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago and beyond. You know, they they had it difficult. I'm in no way, shape or form saying that the trauma that they have isn't valid and and isn't uh, wasn't earned. They 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 went through it. I, I just suggest that in order to heal and in order to have the impact as a race of people that we deserve, we have to start to, to put band-aids on those wounds so that we can, we can be better as a collective. Right, I would say therapy is good. Psychiatry is good. Psychologists are good. Life coaching is good and recovery centers and rehab centers are all good talking to your pastor is good talking to your friend is good too like i think that looks different for everybody i agree all of those things are great but if that's not what you want to call it and if that's not how you feel comfortable we can just say talking to your friend (laughs) And, and and that's good too but releasing that trauma and not owning it is the goal and whatever that looks like for you I'm a fan of that. And the last, I mean, nine and 10, how do we find clothes that work for our body type? And what are some tips you can share to help us always have great style? Clothes to find that that work for your body type. You want to be aware of what your body type is. Do you even know what your body type is? If you go out into the world looking for something and you don't know what you're looking for, you're probably not going to find it because you don't know what you're looking for. So I think having an awareness of your, your body type is key. Are you in pear shape? Are you more narrow? Or do you have a, a more athletic build? Are you short? Are you tall? Are you a little um, curvy? Are you fuller figured? What's your body type? Figure that out. And then once you know what your body type is, you can start to work on finding clothes that highlight all the best features of that body type. Once you know what types of clothes highlight all those best features, then you can go out shopping for clothes to, 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 for those, those body parts and for that body type and know that it will look good on me. Try everything on. If you're not sure what's gonna work for your body type, I would actually say this is probably where you need to go shopping in person and not online so that you can try the clothes on in the moment. Right. Um, You know, and and if you don't like it, you don't even buy it because sometimes it can be really demotivating if you're struggling with your body and you buy clothes online and none of them fit, it's just gonna make you feel worse. So trying them on um, in person can help you to determine very quickly that cut isn't working for my body. Please don't bring me any more of that person that works in the store. This, I think I need something else. Plus they're trained to kind of help you 
try on and they should have an understanding of your body shape to be able to point you in a direction of what will and won't work for your body type. That's what I would say in terms of dressing for your body type. Um, I'd say also you can find good tailors or seamstresses or people at your dry cleaners to do alterations for you. So if something isn't, maybe you're short or petite and everything is too long, get, go to your dry cleaner or find a tailor in your city. A lot of them now are probably gonna be at dry cleaners uh, and have them take them up, take them in and alter them to fit your body so that they look great on you. In terms of always having great style, it's funny, I actually wrote a blog post about this for um, an online website a few months ago. Great style, I think, is something that just stands the test of time. It, it doesn't matter if it's 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, it still looks good. To me, that's great style. I think the pieces that lend themselves to looking that way are not trendy items. Uh, I don't think that trends necessarily produce great style. I think more classic pieces do that. I think, you know, you look at people like Eartha Kitt or Dorothy Dandridge, it's 2021. And if we look at any of their pictures from their prime, they still look amazing. Why is that? Because their clothes fit properly. They, they were wearing pieces that were made well, and they were wearing things that didn't necessarily conform to trends of that time. They they were pieces that if they're in their closet today, tomorrow, next month or next year, that you would still want to wear. I think as that relates to when you're choosing pieces to have great style, it's getting a great pair of you know, trousers, a great skirt, a great blazer, a great blouse, a great coat, great shoes. And once you have the core of your wardrobe, you're then able to use the trends maybe in your accessories. So your trends can be the jewelry, the hat, the shoes, the hosiery, but the, the core of the garment is, is something that is beautifully well-made and, and is gonna last. And that doesn't mean that it costs a million dollars. It just means that it was made well. Um, you can go thrift store shopping if that's what you like to do. I love thrift store shopping. And you can find pieces that were, you know, beautifully made that are in the thrift store. You can shop from smaller local brands where they're paying attention to those details and maybe honoring the, the art of, of making clothes. Um, and inject color where you feel like it makes sense for you. I think that that's always it's a great way to have good style, have a signature thing. You know, we see people like um, Gwen Stefani, she always has that red lip, right? And it always looks so timeless and it, it just kind of pulls everything together. What's your red lip? It, it, maybe for you, it's not a red lip. Maybe for you, it's, it's a great blazer or it's a great hairstyle or it's a great handbag. But find that signature thing for you that kind of pulls everything together effortlessly. And I think that's great style. And I think it's unique for each person. What, what looks good on me might not look good on you because we have different styles and different body types. And what looks good on you might not look good on the next person because you have a different body type from them and a different personality. 
So pay attention to that and, and choose things that kind of show your personality. And I think that allows each of us to have our own individual great style. Wow. I like learning and growing from my guests. And I know my guests like learning and growing from me. Yeah, because we have to be our customized uniqueness. Yes. You know, and any this is a new thing I do in my podcast. I now allow my guests to ask me questions. Once I ask y'all, you all the questions, I started that recently with my first guest I've had, had in a while. So any questions you would like to ask me? Um, how would you, same question. I think that's a, a really fun one. What is, how do you think someone has great style? I think it starts with the acknowledgement and the embrace of inner beauty. Because mm. that's where you find beauty the best in a person's heart and it, and it will show in their exterior it will they will rock the clothes the best because they have this infectious confidence and they can receive a compliment and as well as not rely on the compliment because they compliment themselves. So people enjoy complimenting them because they're not the type that will say, oh, you don't really know me. They go, yep, that's right. I look good. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And well said. Well said. Thank you. Any other questions? Um... What made you choose the topic for your book? Well, I have, and still in my heart, I have a close relationship with my grandma, even though she's no longer here on earth. But I decided people need to have someone to be, to help them be their rock, especially in the rockiest of times. And so I was able to secure that I mean she helped me without even knowing it heal from the trauma that's happened at the time as a child and she's the first person to teach me life skills especially boundaries type life skills and just fortified my sense of self at quite a young age of five and Another thing that a lot of people don't know is that many writers write to their loved ones as if they're still here. If you're a believer in heaven, you'll write to your loved one in heaven. If not, you'll just write to them as if they're still here. And I decided that that routine for myself, I do every day, it helps me with healing as well as it's a form of grief counseling for myself. So I'm having a public grief counseling sessions and I've turned them into my book series because when, when you release every day, you're much more woosah, like, ah, like so I'm relaxed. There's no more refrigerators on my back, just ah, like that. So that's why I did it. That's amazing. I love that story. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I just, I decided 
Yeah, I can use my group to positively benefit the masses of people because grief is much more common because of the obvious times we're living in. Yeah. And in the process, it helps you heal. It's precisely. Um, any other questions or? No, I think, I think we've had a great little chat. Me, it was a big chat. That's why I'm so excited. Like, yeah. And I'm actually four hours from you. Where are you? DC. Oh, that's not far at all. No. Yeah, you can like take trains to and from New York to DC. Amtrak. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a quick ride. The tra- I always feel like the train is actually better. Um, I've taken the Bolt bus a few times from here down to DC um, back in the day. The bus ride, it's always better bus or train. I don't think driving makes sense. <laughs> Too much yeah, traffic. Because the driving in DC and New York, oh. Just wow. too much traffic. And I'm like, how did you get a license? <laughs> <laughs> How'd you pass these drivers? <laughs> yeah, it's people are so such bad drivers here. The road it's, rage. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I just wanted to say um, for any of the people that are listening, I actually have a 30 day challenge that they can sign up for. It's free and it will help you to start the work of um, working on your self esteem and your self talk. It's mm-hmm. yourlivingbeautifully.com. And that's Y-O-U-R-E, livingbeautifully.com. And uh, it's a great place to start, I think, if you want to begin to work on how you feel about yourself. Well, I'm really thankful for your challenge because we do need to be challenged in, in life that we can't be our own greatness if we're not struggling upward you know absolutely Absolutely. we you we as a race of people we're so talented and have so many great ideas but like you just said you know if if we're being held back by our own self-doubt and our own limiting beliefs then there's no it's going to be very difficult to reach those those levels indeed and I uh, just want to say thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And were you comfortable the whole time? Were you triggered in any way? No, but I'm usually not triggered. Okay. It takes a, I, I was bullied a lot as a child and I worked on my, um, I did a lot of self-work on myself at a very young age. So it, the things that trigger me now are things that would trigger anybody, you know, on a human level, accusing me of something or, you know, just blatantly being mean or rude to me. But I think that would trigger anybody. But um, I think this was a great conversation and, and I, I was not triggered at all during, during the taping of this podcast. I'm glad we can have silly times together. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And I'm so honored that I wasn't triggered at all when we were talking either. So 
I'm glad you weren't. <laughs> well, I will be putting the audio out tonight and I sing the video in the morning. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Antonio. Thank, thank you and take care. You too. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye.